Hi, I'm Namita Ramani, founder of Abab Digital and your host for Successful Marketing for Small Businesses in Dubai podcast. Welcome to another episode with me and today I bring to you yet another inspiring story. Our today's entrepreneur whose interview we are going to be doing is Justine Corrado, who's the founder of Bisiligo. In 2014, Justine started a healthy meal delivery company called Bisiligo with meal plans ranging from keto to plant-based to paleo to vegan. She also has an organic Bisiligo cafe at Dream Island in Abu Dhabi. Justine has done her master's from Alliance Manchester Business School and has a nutritionist certificate from the Gerald J and Dorothy R Fredman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts University. She worked for almost eight and a half years as a senior analyst at Senet, UAE's largest industrial holding company mandated by the Abu Dhabi government to create, optimize, promote and champion capital intensive assets. This company gave her a lot of experience from managing projects for magnesium smelter worth $500 million to doing feasibility studies for petrochemical complex to value chain analysis, market research, competitive analysis, budgets and so much more across various projects. Her first entrepreneurial venture was when she was 8 years old and they were living in a hotel at that time. She started selling small chocolates that housekeeping team would leave on the pillows at night. She would then take them to her school and would sell them in front of the steps to get money to buy ice cream. Isn't that cute? And what an amazing thing to start entrepreneur journey at the age of 8. Of course the school shut her little business down pretty quickly. Her next job was when she was 12 and uh, she accompanied her older sister to conduct market research for Abu Dhabi Mall which taught her the importance of listening to market and understanding customer feedback for a new project. Then at the age of 14 She got her first paid job at her mom's company, Amadist, where she earned 50 dirhams an hour for selling test preparation books and learned that a good sales pitch can transform the ordinary product into a need. Born in London to American parents, she has spent most of her life in Abu Dhabi after finishing her education in the US and the UK and now lives with her husband and two cats in Khalifa City, Abu Dhabi. Welcome Justine. Thank you so much for coming all the way from Abu Dhabi. Thank you. For the shoot and I'm so so excited to have this conversation with you. It's a pleasure to be here with a fellow female entrepreneur. You know, I found all this information that I shared about your intro when I was trying to learn about you and I would love for you to share stories that nobody else has heard uh, except friends and family maybe all the disaster stories and all the funny stories and all the sweaty stories. that'll be something uh, interesting to kind of uh, share with us in our audience so uh, your uh, your father is a financial advisor and i read somewhere that he taught you the importance of always questioning people's intention so could you share some practical examples of how you've applied this to different areas of your life and even maybe uh, at work Um, my parents have always been my inspiration and biggest cheerleaders for my personal life and my my work and my business, and the intention behind his teaching me to question people's uh, presentations or what they give me is to ensure to protect ourselves as young entrepreneurs, and that advice has helped me so much and. so many different applications as simple things from getting multiple quotations for one uh, service or product that people may give you a very high price based on a stereotype but then once we go back and squeeze them and explain that we're a small business and how we can negotiate that makes a big difference um in terms of getting a leg up on starting yeah. businesses So Basilico started with your own need of ordering healthy affordable lunch when you were in a corporate. Uh and you said that you initially started cooking yourself and taking food for your team. The nutritionist certificate that you got was it before Basilico started or after before, right? It was after. Really? So mm-hmm. uh, first you started the company and then you took the certificate. Yes. So yeah, I mean I started the company in 2014 when I was working as an analyst and we Back in 2014 Abu Dhabi there weren't too many healthy food options and so I started it I was cooking food in my home with my chef Mama Suji 
So the two of us started cooking, and then we would bring in the food to work for my friends and the other analysts, and it slowly grew. We were bringing in food for quite a few people. But Mama Suji is your chef, as in he's the chef who comes to home to cook for you, to for you guys, like yes, family. Yes, yeah. Uh, chef Suji, she's been in my working with my family for a very long time. So she took care of my nieces and nephews. And then she came to be with me in, a, in Abu Dhabi from? from Sri Lanka. Okay. Sri Lankan magic fingers. They they have a culinary touch that yes. oh, almost all my team um, are Sri Lankans. Actually, the long term team has uh, have all been recruited from there. So oh, and now it's a mix of nationalities, but um, the team that's been with me the longest. So you've learned all your cooking from chef. Mama well, Suji. I learned my cooking from my mother and my sister. Okay. So we come from a foodie family. And so I was taught the importance of cooking growing up, cooking from scratch, cooking wholesome food. And it's an inexpensive way to eat as well, is that if you cook from scratch and at home, you could have much more delicious food. And my mother and my sister taught me the importance of you know, preparing in the beginning of the week for that whole week. Yeah. And so then I was doing the same for my colleagues. Okay. Then I thought, okay, other people must need this kind of healthy food option. Yeah. So we um, started the idea. I built a website. Mm -hmm. I built a kitchen in Musafa. I just rented a warehouse and then I fitted it out for a kitchen, got it approved by the municipality mm -hmm. food authority. And it was Chef Suji and I, and I hired um, one driver and one guy to answer the phones. <laughs> and we started like that. So wow. that's how we started, yeah. So why did you then decide to get a nutrition degree at all? Like, well, so I mean, I started, and I actually started as a lunch business. That's, I only had enough staff to do a, a lunch delivery. And then I slowly um, bridged out into dinner and breakfast. But my idea going into it was that I would provide the meals, healthy salads, wholesome food, at an affordable price, so I wanted to be between like 25 to 45, maximum 50 dirhams, mm -hmm. and be delivered to the person. And this was, yeah, this was the concept that I had started. I, and then I'd done all the macros, the calories online, and it's very easy software nowadays to do that. Yeah. And I, as an entrepreneur, started doing everything myself. I was doing the food photography, I was doing everything. Then after I launched the whole company and I launched the product, people told me, okay, but can you just send me all the food for the day? Okay. And I was like, oh, but I had only thought of that people would want those meals and yeah. they are a master of their nutrition journey. Yeah. But actually people were asking for, give me the product so I can lose weight or just maintain my health or I have diabetes, I need help. And that is a completely different mm. approach to nutrition and wellness. And which so, needs education behind Which it. needs some education. Yeah. So that's when I went back to school. I just been, at that time I was just finished my MBA when I started my business. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to school to Tufts to do their nutrition program. While the company is running here. Yeah, while the company is running. Because I felt people needed more information about nutrition and I needed to build a program and a whole menu that's nutritionally balanced. So I started that arm of the business and now that has actually become the main, become the main part of our business. Yeah. Yeah. So what market research went, this was the market research then I guess, the lunch delivery service that you started mm -hmm. and preparing these wholesome lunch meals for the office. Yeah. That was the main market research that you did. My main market research was there weren't many players in Abu Dhabi in healthy food. At that time. At that time. There was only no lose at that time. So, and she's a great female entrepreneur that's inspiring. So I wanted to provide a more affordable option. And yeah, that's, that was the, that's how it started. That's how it started. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful name, Basil Go. I heard somewhere you mentioned that uh, online, that Basil on the Go, and that's how the name got inspired. Who came up with the name? Is Basil your favorite herb? Yeah, uh, my origin and my roots are Italian-American. Okay. So my father's cooking and uh, influence impacted a lot of how we eat as a family. So we eat a lot of Italian food. And of course, basil is a huge... 
uh, component of the meals. And when I was a little kid living in Malta, my parents used to grow big bushes of basil in their back garden, so for free, and it's amazing, so it was in everything. So when I wanted to start the company, I thought, okay, I need to have something that's something fresh to go. So I came up with basil. Basilico is the name for basil in Italian. And then I changed the G so that it's kind of fresh, fresh herbs to go. Yeah. Now, trans, translation-wise, I don't know if it was the wisest choice but of name because it doesn't cross cultures very well, yeah. but I'm with it now, so. No, it's going to stay for yeah, and so it's a very yeah. interesting, it's a very nice name. Yeah. It's a basilico, it's kind yeah. of, sounds. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were the initial hurdles you faced while setting up the first kitchen for basilico? Mm, yeah, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> so many because I don't have any experience in food. Yeah. Um, I don't, I didn't. I did not at that time have any experience setting up uh, an industrial kitchen. Um, my mentor was uh, my husband, Florek, and he was instrumental in terms of guiding me in what steps to take next. So some of the biggest hurdles were just not having enough staff, you know, just the, the manpower. So financial resources are always the entrepreneur's biggest hurdle you know and how to make the most of the money that we have and so we would sell the lunches and put the money right back into the business I, I think the biggest hurdle was time and I was working at that same time so I was at my job working and then I'd have customers calling me because I was also the customer service wow. so I'd be like under my desk yes how can I help you and try <laughs> to provide a good customer service because my American side was coming out was like customer service comes first yes. and then my boss would be coming in I'm like please hold you know while I check that I'm like yes what do you need me to do you know that would be a challenge or I would find oh our delivery driver went out to town yeah. and now we have no delivery driver so then I would run to Musafa I'd pick up the order oh I would take it to the customer and then they would be equally confused because they're like why is this woman delivering my lunch <laughs> I'm like oh just here you go you know <laughs> isn't that amazing it truly entrepreneurs truly have to wear all the hats, all you the know, hats. Become a driver, you yeah become, it's amazing so I did like a true everything in the example. beginning yeah. yeah but then I mean it's learning how to pivot so then okay obviously we cannot do everything by ourselves so then slowly putting the resources toward okay what will free up my t time yeah. more and then putting the resources towards that so, so what was the first thing you were, did to cure this problem uh, the hire first, more drivers yeah first more drivers yeah and the challenge was that at that time it was just starting up this uh, concept of having third-party driver logistics companies yeah so that was a way for me to get going, but they were very expensive. Yeah. And so as a small business, I couldn't afford that. So then I had to start the recruit recruiting process to get my own guys on, on board and more chefs. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. and it went on. It's You're going to go a little yeah. bit deeper into that yeah. very soon. Yeah. Um, but um, you have 100 plus recipes on your menu mm -hmm. and, uh, and you keep giving new variety every month. How do you keep up with the number of recipes you have on your menu? It's a lot of recipes. Yeah, I mean, that was my, when I first started the company, my idea was, I'm going to change the menu every two weeks. It'll be an evolving menu. Hmm. Wow. That went out the window very fast. <laughs> because then I realized that the effort that goes into producing a new dish takes so much. Not only do we have to source the ingredients, but make sure the taste is okay and the nutrition behind it. So we carefully came up with a, a good menu afterwards. And then we started uh, based on customer feedback. If they're like, this is terrible, we're like, okay, exit off the menu, you know? So, and now it's the same in our meal plan. So as we roll out dishes, we get customer's feedback. One of our main pillars is that we like to keep in touch with the customer, um, communicate with them. We love their honest feedback. If they tell us that dish is terrible, great, we'll take that feedback because Food is a very personal choice yeah. and culturally uh, influenced. So 
some nationalities or, or taste palates may love some dishes, mm -hmm. and others will just be like, oh, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. Like, we have the keto fat bombs. Mm -hmm. So this is a new trend that's coming up right now, is that we make out of cocoa butter and some fresh flavoring. So we add fresh raspberries or fresh uh, lemon peel with the cocoa butter, with yeah. pure cocoa butter. So that keeps a person full very long. Yeah. But for some cultural taste palates, that is like so bad tasting for them. Yeah. So it's been an interesting journey to see how to craft a menu that will appeal to so many cultures and nationalities, which is a very challenging task in this market here. It is actually, I agree. And wow, it must be taking you so much effort to keep digging these different, how does these recipes come about? Like and They come sort of organically. I mean, research, one, I travel a lot. So I get inspired by a lot of different restaurants all over the world. And so I pull kind of those recipes and we make it our own, which will be cost effective, what we can source here, because obviously everything is imported. We do source a lot of things locally from the local farmers. But other things have to be imported. It's just the nature of where we are. Yeah. So it, it's a mix of influences. And then, of course, our chefs on board, yeah. you know, they have a big say. You know? Do you do a lot of test, like, uh, tasting before it actually rolls out in the menu? It's taste, like, tested and altered and everything fixed. So you must be doing a lot of food tastings every week, I guess. Yeah, we do. Every few weeks, we roll out new dishes yeah. to inject into our meal plan. Um, instead of doing a major overhaul, just we kind of drip feed. So if people give us that feedback that that dish is not so good, then we inject other. We keep the favorites on the menu. Yeah. yeah. That's the wise thing. Yeah. Keep the favorites <laughs> on the menu. <laughs> um, there's also one more thing uh, I've noticed is that you manage per person's demand. So if somebody doesn't want onion in his food, for example, uh, in the so you rem you remove some food groups if they are allergic to the food. How do you manage that when it comes to deliver? Like you must be doing hundreds of deliveries on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. How does a chef, or you have some kind of a system or a protocol that this dish, this particular uh, menu, which is going to this customer, will should not have onion? Mm -hmm. How do you manage? Because maybe you pre-prepare all the dishes and some of the basic gravies and stuff. So how does that work? Then? We actually don't pre-prepare anything. We make everything fresh from scratch. So the first thing is that I try to be agile as an entrepreneur and providing a customized solution as much as we can mm -hmm. is often challenging when we're doing hundreds of meals. So some limitation is there. The other challenge is that people who have severe allergies, this is a matter of life or death. Yeah. So people who have severe allergies, I do not take on that risk. And I am very clear from the beginning because that is a personal safety, you know, and everybody, uh, yeah, I just I'm very cautious about yeah. that because I I've heard many cases globally about things not being labeled and so I'm trying to be very cautious about wellness for people. Yeah. So, but in terms of people have a dislike, we will try to take it out of their menu altogether. The dish the, at the first step, we provide a menu. We mm -hmm. will take it off their menu. Mm -hmm. The second step is then. Um, we have the kitchen operations, and if they have an allergy, then it is uh, highlighted on our boards and everything. And because we prepare everything fresh, mm -hmm. then we just make it to order. And we usually swap out a dish. So if they can't eat onions, for example, we will have swapped it with a totally different dish. Okay. So then so it's, it's, it's manageable it's, then. Yeah, yes. it's not a variation on the dish. It's a whole other one. How important is right pricing for a food delivery business? Like you, how do you operate with such uh, cost-effective pricing? Uh, being healthy, organic sometimes, and you know, such variety. Like there's yeah. so much going into this, and how do you manage the pricing for the product then? For the yeah, pricing is a bit challenging in this market because of the high overheads. Um, yeah. It's very high overheads in this market. Staff, um, rentals, everything. Um, Drivers, patrol, you have so much more. Static. Everything. You have yeah. everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. And nowadays, um, when I started, there wasn't. it was just starting the Talabats and the Zomatos and all these kind of food delivery apps. Yeah. That's another challenging angle are these companies because they demand very high commissions. And in the restaurant world, it's a very low margin business to begin with. Yeah. So that's that adds a challenge as well. Um, I 
my principle is keep the costs or the prices low for the customers because wellness should be affordable. Mm. So lunches and dinners on our meal plans started about 40 dirhams. Mm. Um, breakfast started 20, 25 dirhams. So that's what people would pay in kind of normal restaurants around. And this is customized for them and delivered to them. But we try to manage the cost as much as possible. Do you kind of bring down some other big cost? Like probably by having your own drivers, I guess, one of the ways to optimize your costs so that you're not paying to these third-party aggregators? Yeah, exactly. Bringing everything in-house and managing it in-house and really being resourceful on the ingredients. So if we are making something with sweet potato, then we'll make multiple dishes with sweet potato, you know, so there isn't so much variation. Mm. So it's a fine line, you know. So the whole month's menu will then have some particular base ingredients yeah. common throughout? Throughout, yeah. Okay. Throughout. That's an interesting uh, way to kind of look at optimizing. Mm. Yeah, we optimize. Usage of the ingredients yeah. so that the pricing can get optimized. Yeah, so we so buy in bulk. That's great. You know? Yeah, and yeah. we send to our organic cafe the, the a lot of the kale and the salads and they prepare it there fresh as well. So we can most buy in bulk, you know. So most of your stuff comes from organic cafe, your veggies, ingredients come from there. Uh, or a lot. They are one of our suppliers, the organic cafe, but they're not our only supplier. But a lot of the organic products come from there. I can't... The price point to be fully organic would be too high for the customer. Yeah. And I think uh, clients would like to eat as organic as possible, yeah. but at the right price. And so how I approach it is that we provide wholesome food. And so I check very carefully each of the ingredients. We make sure there's no MSG, no added sugars, mm -hmm. no added chemicals, no colorings, so that it's the base products and we're building up the recipe from scratch. Mm. So that way, it, it's not a make or break if it's organic necessarily, yeah. but it's a, it's a wholesome approach to clean eating. That's actually my next, uh, related to very, my next question, which is one of the key things in a food business is taste, quality, and freshness. And when it comes to food delivery business, and that to healthy food, which is not considered always tasty, because how much ever you try to make healthy food tasty, it, it can't, I mean, if you want really healthy, it does taste less food. And the freshness element, again, considering that it's a delivery service, so you drop the food in the morning and people will be consuming during the day. Mm. So um, do you feel resistance from people in believing this concept of having food from the morning and then eating that same dish at night? Or one of the dish that is delivered in the morning, eating that for the night meal? And how do you guys, is there any, any tools or, anything, or any special things that you use to keep the food fresh when you do the delivery? Mm. I, on, on two points of your, your question, yeah. first is on the logistics side. So everything is packed just before it's sent out for delivery. So we, we have a continuous process. We cook, we pack, we send out for delivery. There's no break time in between or anything. Um, that so is- So the kitchen is on at midnight, like it's, it yeah, starts at Yeah, we are almost a 24 hour operation, okay. yeah. And there's a few hours in the middle of the night that they are not on, but yeah, it's, it's almost a 24 hour operation. And God bless the team, really. And the, the continuous logistics chain, we have to keep that freshness for the clients. And all the meals are in a cooler bag with ice packs now. And the containers, we use sustainable containers for the salads as much as we can, mm -hmm. um, just to make sure that we're trying to go as sustainable as we can. Yeah. The things that are more curry-based or liquid-based, we have them in a microwavable container, which is reusable, that people could reuse if they would like to. Um, and then there are ice packs all around it. We deliver it to them at their set time, whether it's the morning or the evening for their delivery. And then they consume it throughout the day. You know, They can put it in the fridge and everything. So it's within 24 hours that the food is being consumed and preserved. So this is okay. Um, in America and in Europe, the meal plan businesses, they often send the food for the whole week and people freeze them. Yeah. So it's a very different approach. You know, here people like that fresh food concept. So we are obliging to our uh, clients to do the fresh food. And how do you make... Um... Yeah, in terms of the taste, yeah. what you were asking about the taste was that 
this is a very important concept is how to build flavor through healthy food. Yeah. So nutrition trends have changed over since the 80s until now in terms of what people used to perceive as low fat as being healthy till today is that people perceive that you should have healthy fats in your diet. Yeah. And healthy fats adds flavor. And so we always integrate a healthy fat, whether it be avocado, nuts, olive oil, um, grass-fed butter. Mm -hmm. So all of those healthy fats will make a person feel fuller longer. Mm -hmm. It will also build the flavor. Mm -hmm. So that mix with the right kind of acid, you know, lemon or other kind of vinegars and things, this helps build the taste. So we try to make it balanced as much as possible, and yeah. yeah, and people often have a resistance to having healthy fats in their meal plans. Yeah. They're saying, "Oh, you have so much olive oil, and you have uh, butter, grass-fed butter," but actually, we then try to explain to them about the science now behind consuming healthy fats. Of course, it has to be in a certain amount. It shouldn't be over the daily recommended amount, but that that actually encourages weight loss and people are much healthier And then. That's interesting. So I think the nutrition degree that you got gave you, all, I think you already were before, because Basilgo started, you did not have any nutrition degree. Yeah. So I had an interest in healthy yeah. food and so healthy mixing, eating. Mix, and yeah, mixing the right acid with the right fat creates a taste. Exactly. So I sometimes struggle with my, I love cooking as well, and I some, some, sometimes I struggle with my dressings. So yeah, all of us. <laughs> Even me so, as a home cook, I yeah. do, yeah. Uh, so learning, and it's interesting how uh, since last couple, of, last couple of podcasts, we have a lot of cafes and restaurants, and uh, so I'm hearing a lot about food and chefs and yeah, cooking yeah. and everything. And building those things, it's like you have to have the crunch element, you have to have the umami element, you have to have the... The, the fatty uh, flavor, not fatty, but the like healthy fat and that acid and how that all builds in the palate. And then it's also very challenging. Okay, we could come up with a beautiful dish and in the tasting, it's wonderful. But then on execution and doing that daily over and over again is also a big challenge of the food business is consistency. Yeah. So that is a challenge as well. It's how yeah. to keep the team on a consistent basis providing very high quality food. So, so is there any particular thing you use for the consistency? We're trying. It's, it's training and constant retraining. And also the kitchen business is also high turnover of culinary teams. So it, it's often challenging to provide consistency. And that's why the French kitchen is so revered, is that it's not necessarily the French food that's so amazing. It's that their French style of cooking is set up like a military brigade. Yeah. And so they have consistency. And so no matter if you go in you know, now or in a year from now, their restaurants are exactly providing you the same food. And it's because of their military precision in the kitchen. And so that is often challenging to recreate, but we're working on it, you know. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, like having set measuring systems mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> and often to cross uh, cultures and languages is often challenging. So we have everything color coded and all the ladles and the certain sizes, because no matter if they don't speak English or they don't speak uh, Hindi or Urdu or Sinhalese, Everybody can understand, you know, yeah. <laughs> on the color-coded ladles, on the sizes. So that is often challenging is to build a, pro a procedure and an operation where it can cross languages. Yeah. So. Interesting. You, I'm sure you must have gone through so much to set up a proper system. Well, it's thanks Tons to my team, them. honestly. I mean, it's, it's myself and the team. So I think that's another thing as an entrepreneur is to understand where other people can fill the gaps and to recruit people who can come on board and look at it with a different set of eyes. And with their own expertise. Their own expertise, yeah. yeah. You started Bissilgo in 2014, and back then, print was still much popular. But you started with a website. The first thing, even in the beginning when you mentioned, is uh, the first thing you did was had a website. Uh, I still know many businesses in Dubai that don't even have a website. So how did you... Um, Go in the. Why did you choose making a website first? Why didn't you choose to, like others, going in the print way because that was most popular at that time? 
Yeah, I mean, I think low, bar low barrier of entry cost-wise. Mm -hmm. So to open up a bricks and mortars restaurant would cost millions. I mean, it's, it's not easy to start a restaurant here in the UAE in terms yeah. of cost. Um, people usually need large financial backers. So a website was a really inexpensive way to start, and that was something I could build myself. Um, I could take all the pictures myself. I, I had control over my own shop front, you know. And the challenge was then driving traffic, of course, to that. That was, that was, yeah, <laughs> that was a, a harder feat. Yeah. And at that time, when I started in 2014, there were a lot of American companies that were just starting as well, Munchery and a few other um, food delivery companies where they were doing similar concepts of delivering lunch and everything. They've now gone out of business, <laughs> these other companies in America. Yeah. So I mean, the important thing is to pivot, I think. And yeah. we have pivoted into meal plans. Yeah. Um, so we're not a purely online business anymore, but it's a good fusion. Yeah, it's a good fusion. Definitely the website is a huge component yeah. and of, of our shop front. But. Uh, so that is actually my, uh, what other forms of marketing did you try and not succeed at? And what marketing are you doing now that is actually working for the company? In Apart terms from of, the website, Yeah, in terms of marketing, um, it was really a on-the-ground approach, so family and friends, and just having cards and networking and going out to events and getting my food in people's hands, getting it in their offices, um, networking around like a bee, you know, just <laughs> meeting as many people as possible and giving that sales pitch, because you'll knock 100 doors, you know, before yeah. you can get your food in anywhere. And then there was a lot of, um, print media, like you said, and we did fall victim to putting a few ads in magazines and in newspapers, but then there was no return on it. So we quickly learned that, that print, print media is out and digital media is the way to go. And Facebook was just starting at that time, their ads and Google ads. So we started reaching out to different people to assist us with that. And so digital marketing is the way and digital, today's marketing. It is. It is the way, really. Yeah, it is. is. Yeah. Uh, how do you envision growth for the company? What's the future for Basilgo? What's in the growth plan? And our growth plan is a much more, in terms of meal plans, a much more customized approach in terms of our website for the clients. So they'll have much more control over their plan and their destiny. That's the first thing. So we're doing an online uh, growth plan. Second is that we're growing into catering. So we're trying to expand that and to provide the original healthy office lunch, what I intended to do, but more on a larger scale. So we're growing into catering. Um, and we're trying to grow into the different Emirates. So through different logistics providers, we've been able to reach people who are in the other Emirates, you know, who want to also eat healthily. So, and inshallah, maybe we'll go to GCC, to Saudi, to Kuwait. So, inshallah, we'll get there, you know. But it's a slow and steady uh, burn rather than, um, a, yeah, a huge explosion. So, we, we try to grow by learning from our mistakes and learning what works well and then moving to that next step. So, so. when you started Basilico, what was the first initial little dream? You know, you, we start as a small mm. business owner, you start with, then I reach here, then I'll do this, then I... So what was yeah, that, that little that first, first target? Yeah, the first target. The first target, I remember doing my big financial model, <laughs> and because I came from an analyst background, you know, yeah. so I prepared my whole business plan and my financial model, and I was imagining delivering 100 people a day, you know, <laughs> delivering lunch. And then yeah. You reached that already long ago. Yeah, but in terms of only lunch, I realized that that is much harder to do than a pretty financial model, yeah. you know. So a lot more sweat and blood goes into that than the financial model. So my goal was reaching 100 customers, mm -hmm. you know. And there's always that fear when you start, you launch the whole thing. Yeah. Will somebody actually call? You know? So I remember the first lady who called us yeah. and she placed an order from 2454. And God bless her to this day, really. She was, everybody was clapping. Somebody actually ordered from us. You know, it's like you can't believe it. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so now, yeah. And Maybe. I think 100 was our next milestone. Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, slowly, slowly. You keep adding to the milestones. Yeah, I keep yeah. adding to it. And then, I mean, the most important thing mm-hmm. is pivoting. You know, so if, if you can, and being agile, mm-hmm. if you can just listen to them and yeah. customers, what, what do they want? What do they don't, what do they don't like, you know, so. I think it's very important uh, for all small businesses to know when to pivot. Like, this is not going to work for long. It's mm. time to evolve. It's yeah. time to change. It's time to add something else. Yeah. Maybe change the strategy. And yeah. Don't be married to the idea. Yes. That absolutely. was my main thing, is that very early on, from a psychological approach, is that I learned, don't be married to the idea. So if it was a lunch business, who cares? Move on. Because it's swimmer, what is this? Swimmer sink, right? Yeah. So we had to pivot somehow, you know? And that's the main thing is that... Be just, adaptable to exactly. change. Yeah, be adaptable to change. Yeah. Sometimes challenging, but... Yeah. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned was you have a very high turnover rate of uh, people in the food industry. Uh, is there any in particular... Employees. In employees. Yeah, 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 employees. Employees yeah. and even keeping the chefs, retaining your chefs... Like how do you hire and retain them and keep the thriving company that you are? Mm. Is there any particular model or way that you interview chefs or interview people when you hire them and what do you do to retain them? I think in terms of the, there's kind of two parts of the operation. There's the culinary side and there's the operation side, Correct. which is equally, if not more important. Absolutely. Um, in terms of interviewing or recruiting people, the most important thing I look for is if they're not just asking how much the salary is. You know, yeah. If they're just asking how much the salary is, their heart is not in it. Yeah. And as a small business or SME, there are often struggles that are different than a yeah. larger company. Yeah. And so a person's heart has to be in it in order to make the business thrive and be a problem solver. Yeah. And that agility in terms of uh, getting everything done. And so the first thing to look for is somebody whose heart is in it, they have integrity, and they're looking at it of how they can solve the problem. You know, my instrumental right-hand man is uh, Sharaf, who you've also met. And when I recruited him on board was, he was asking me, what's what's the challenges that we can face and how can we grow the company? And somebody who has that kind of intention is a great person to have as a partner because they will help the business grow. And when somebody's heart is in it, it, the business transforms. And the same with the chefs. The chefs, if their heart is not in it, the food won't taste good. The thoughts reach. <laughs> yeah, there's something about the the thoughts and the yeah. you know the love that goes into cooking. You know, right. cooking is such a labor of love, and that's something that uh, Chef Suji, she's the head chef at our Reem Island branch, mm-hmm. and her clients that come to her every day for lunch, mm-hmm. you know, they call her, "Hey, mama," and mm-hmm. she puts the, her love into the yeah. food and. That makes it taste better, you know. Is yeah. that there's something strange about it, but it makes Absolutely. it taste better, yeah. and uh, that's the key. Is to I think bring people on who are equally wanting to see you grow as much yeah, as you want, to. and wanting to see the business grow, and they yeah. feel bought in as well, you know, in terms of their minds, you know, and it's challenge something challenging for them, you know, yeah. not just a routine job. So we always have new. You know, now uh, by working with you guys, uh, that we are managing your marketing, and mm-hmm. I've understood that your customer service and customer satisfaction, you know, brought this point up earlier also in the conversation, sits at the heart of the company values. And I've seen this seldom in other companies because mostly people uh, or small businesses have are revenue-centric than customer-centric. Uh, are there any tools or systems you use uh, to make sure the customer satisfaction is not overlooked mm. or you know not paid attention to? Because it's a key for repeat business. Because if I don't like your food, I'm not going to exactly. order again. Yeah. So. And often, if if somebody has a poor experience, by reaching out to them in a humane way and with compassion is can often bring people back as well. Yeah. You know, so providing that good customer service is a critical component of our, of our team. Often it's challenging with hundreds of customers per day. Yeah. Uh, we try as much as we can to provide that service. 
So, I mean, after all, we're still a small team, and our customer service team were four people, so between the nutritionists and our customer service, so, you know, for hundreds of people. So we try to give personalized service as we can. So um, do you make calls, or do you ask yeah. them to fill a feedback form? We or? do calls, yeah. The best way is calls, is to really oh. understand and talk to people, you know, you, you hear their honest opinion. That, Are you happy with the food? How is it going? Exactly. And that was my principle when I started the company. For about three years, I was calling up people, like, nonstop, was just, how was your food? And my mobile was given out to everybody under the sun in terms of they would call me, this is my delivery issue, this is my food business. I mean, that kind of feedback is critical for developing a business. From an entrepreneur perspective, that's a really fast way to get burned out. <laughs> I think psychologically, people need to take a step back a lot earlier than that. I think three years, I stretched it out a bit long um, to be kind of at that vocal end. Um, a process should be set up earlier in order to capture all that feedback. So now our process is filtered through our customer service team and then brought to our management's yeah. attention. You know, this on a weekly basis, this is what the feedback has been this week and let's change it and whatnot. So you handpick, so, choose the customers you want to do with a test call and you just call. and Exactly. And what yeah. about uh, when people leave uh, negative feedback online? Because nowadays everything has become so much more open. The mm -hmm. world is open and people can say anything wherever they want to. Yeah. On Instagram, on Facebook. And I remember us having this conversation yeah, yeah, when you yeah. uh, had some uh, negative feedback on one of your social media channels. And you chose to reply versus delete mm -hmm. the comment, which is, I think, the wise thing to do because... It's better to address um, a concern than exactly. to kind of ignore or neglect it because it can be one unhappy customer is mm. un like it's, it, she will talk about it to or he will talk about exactly. it to we'll ten people. Spread, yeah. yeah, so and an ignored problem will never go away. You know, so yeah. people That's can people can sweep things under the rug, but. It will always keep popping up. Yeah. So and that's in life anyways, is that we need to address the issues at hand. Yeah. And whether it's this person who's complaining online, it yeah. will crop up again and again. It won't be the last one if we don't fix it. Yeah. So it's important. I take all feedback online, negative or positive. That's fine. Challenge is, yes, how to respond to it in a diplomatic way. Sometimes when we're putting our blood and sweat into the business, it's it's a little bit challenging because we're like, we're trying, we're trying, you know. Um, so it, it's a fine line of yeah. how to frame or how to diplomatically respond. But yeah, we, we take all the customer complaints very seriously and try to uh, address them. And I love that about your company and your business because it's so important to hear your customers. And I also have noticed that on social media, I think the element or the value of kindness has gone away. People just want to bombard yeah. and mm -hmm. there's too much, uh, I don't know. I, I, and in fact, I, I did that post on my Instagram recently, like be kind to people. Everybody's yeah. doing their best to serve you. To, exactly. To, to it's not of, intentional. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it's not so, intentional. Like people want to screw up, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So meal, meal plans now lately has become a very competitive industry. Mm. Like suddenly there's like so many meal plan companies all over yeah. UAE. Dubai has so many. So does Abu Dhabi. So how do you, um, how do you differentiate yourself from competition and how do you manage the competition? Yeah. Yeah, sure. it's when I started a few years ago. It was just two of you. It was right? yeah, it was a couple of players yeah. in the market. They were pretty big giants, actually. I was the little guy. Yeah. Um, so now, now it's it's okay. You're five years I, old. <laughs> yeah, I welcome competition. It's no yeah. problem. Our focus is on clean eating, you know, and I try not to look at the competition. I just focus on our food and our product and our service, and we're focusing on clean eating and no processed food and no MSG and no artificial coloring. So that, I think, translates to clients or people want that kind of food. And I've noticed with other companies that if they're a bit larger, they're cutting corners in terms of ingredients. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that that will shine through in terms of the quality of our ingredients. We serve generous portions mm -hmm. um, in terms of our a la carte and our Reem Island. And we, you know, so it's good value for money in our other arms of the business. Yeah. And we're hoping that that will 
that will help keep us along, you know, and the customer service, as you said. And we have nutritionists on board as well. I have another nutritionist who also gives personal coaching. So that is very important because any kind of wellness journey requires a coaching or some kind of guidance for a lot of people. And it's so warming to have somebody follow up and just like, hey, how is how's your day going? You know, and just what are the thoughts? Because the thoughts influence the behaviors mm -hmm. and then it spirals into eating. So it, it's how to control all angles of that and how can we balance it. So often just having someone check in is a critical part as well. Yeah. So interesting. It's good to be hands on things and I, I love this checking in thing. Like I, I see this across Checking mm -hmm. in with clients with feedback, for feedback, checking in with, through the nutritionist for mm -hmm. the meal plans. Yeah, okay. Do you have any mentors? Uh, who are your mentors? Yeah, I have a few mentors. <laughs> uh, my daily mentor would be my husband. Mm -hmm. um, he is an experienced entrepreneur himself, and he really guided me in terms of decision making, how to make fast decision making, um, in terms of how to set up a business. I learned a tremendous amount from him and in terms of how to operate in the local market. And my other mentors would be my parents, of course, um, and my sister and my brother. So my family is, is instrumental as well in terms of my success. And everybody provides their advice, yeah. and it's a good... Good input, you know, full, full circle input. You know, they're my first product testers as well, you know, <laughs> with new dishes. Guinea we send pigs. it over. Yeah, they're my guinea pigs. You know, these are our new juices. Please try. You know, which flavors do you like? And yeah. so they're, they're our It's good to have mentors. family support. I think exactly. families um, become your root. And when your root is strong, exactly. you can grow as tall as you want and as high as you can yeah. go. So, uh, and they give you the honest feedback, absolutely. which is good. you know, Unfiltered. Yeah, Sometimes exactly. Sometimes harsh. But yeah. That's fine. I will take the harsh <laughs> criticism because yeah. there will always be somebody out there who will give you yeah. 10 times worse. So it's yeah. better to have it straight from our family. I, yeah. I get that experience a lot yeah. at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read your philosophy about money and uh, in, about how you know, you shared in one of the articles somewhere mm. that you have this, your father gave you this philosophy for money. I would love for you to share that with our audience and with us. My philosophy for money is don't keep it to yourself, is that you should spread it around. And what as out comes back. Exactly. What you put out there in the world comes back. So, and in any kind of kindness or money or charity. And also in Islam, you know, same, the principle of charity. So, my principles for money in terms of running my business is that I put everything back in. I don't take anything for myself. I'm purely doing it because of providing wellness for my community mm -hmm. and providing a livelihood for my team. We're about 35 people now. Mm -hmm. We provide livelihoods. To the, it's a trickle effect to their families all over the world. You know, we are a global team. And to provide that kind of money to people, those children who need it, really, is is what drives me, you know. So. But it is a business at the end of the day, it has to be profitable, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be profitable, but yeah. I mean, it's challenging in the food business as well to, um, it's, a, it's a slim, slim margin. Yeah. Yeah. In the food business. What's your favorite dish in Basilgo? Your favorite? All the dishes you guys have. Mm, tough question. <laughs> or maybe a couple. You don't mind hearing My favorite dish is one of our original dishes. Is the kale, quinoa, pomegranate, pistachio salad. I know it sounds a little healthy and everything, but we massage the kale with the olive oil, mm -hmm. and so that makes it soft. Mm -hmm. And then the avocado and the nuts gives it a healthy fat. Mm -hmm. And then that fills me up for the, like most of the day, actually. But in terms of the... The more wholesome hot dishes, I'd say my favorite dish is the five spice steak. So we make a sauce, a spicy sauce from scratch with a variety of spices, and it's made with beef tenderloin with a, with a rice on the side, with a brown rice. So that's my favorite hot dish. That's one of Chef Suji's original creations. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's lunchtime, and we are having this conversation. I know. I my mouth is watering, and my stomach is making noises. So your favorite kitchen tool that you cannot do without? Mm, my garlic press. <laughs> yeah, that's my Italian side coming out. Yeah, <laughs> is the garlic press. It's, yeah. It keeps your hands from, uh, Away from the getting stove. all smelly. Yeah. yeah. 
Do you have any hobbies? Yeah. Apart so, from mm, cooking. Yeah, I, cooking, but also swimming. I've recently taken up swimming and traveling. I said those are my so swimming almost every day as um, you know as exercise is such a huge pillar. Is that as we get older, we realize that we have to exercise, and <laughs> and not only does it um, have it has mental benefits and physical benefits, but it just transforms the the mind and resets the mind in terms of that's my Zen time to just kind of remap out everything. What am I going to do for the day? And yeah. you know, to go forward because it's alone time. You know, that's what that's why you do the thinking. That's where I do the thinking. There's nothing to look at except the bottom of the pool. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I I think I shared this in one of our podcasts. Uh, this mm. is an author called Ryan Holiday. Okay, he's written some pretty interesting uh, books, and one of his latest books is The Stillness Speaks where he researches back 100 years and looks at different uh, entrepreneurs, athletes, politicians, and how did they um, take these big decisions or achieve these big goals. And back in the days, meditation was not a very big thing at that time, but they were still applying a lot of rules. Or they were getting benefits of meditation through other forms of activities, whether it's doing yeah. long walks or mm-hmm. going for these therapeutic through swims. Physical, yeah. So a couple of, I don't remember the names of which politician would go for long walks or there's some mm-hmm. athletes who would go for long swims and that's when they will make all the strategy and everything when they're just, that's like the meditation exactly. act- activity. Yeah. I guess swimming is yeah. for you. Yeah, for me, swimming is. I mean, I practice meditation as well to, yeah. because, it, I mean, wellness is a 360, right? Absolutely. So you need the, the meditation, whether it's through prayer or whatever form your culture is providing to you through exercise, through food. So I try to take all the boxes as much as I can. And that's the healthy way to live, I guess, the holistic way. Because life is... uh, Exactly. The busy life with all the gadgets, technology, Mm -hmm. it's becoming more and more important to have that me time, to have that technology-free time. And as I've gotten older, I've started switching off the phone more. I stay away from social media, actually. Is that... I understand social media is a huge thing for business, and it's an important part. I think personally, my online time has just, I've cut it out almost uh, completely because we lose connections with people. Absolutely. It's better to pick up a phone and call and maybe go and meet the friend for coffee versus WhatsApp. I don't appreciate WhatsApp messages all day with a friend. I said, let's meet for coffee. Yeah, exactly. And getting that connection. And uh, I was just reminiscing with another friend was that, you know, back in the day when I was growing up, we were in the culture of the Majlis. So all all the ladies would come together. I grew up in local families here. So all the ladies would come together and they would, you know, meet and bring all of us kids, and all of us kids would run off and do our own thing and everything. And that's missing today. You know, it, it's still there, but in our generation, it's changed so much. You know, the, you, people want a formal invitation to come over yeah. to the house, and, you know, and that open majlis is not there. Uh, so we're trying to build it now, and our group of ladies, you know, is just come over when, when you can, and, yeah. you know and build that social connection rather than through social media and just watching what people are doing yeah. through that. Because it's not all that it seems, as, as everybody knows. I remember when we met last, uh, you mentioned that you listen to many podcasts as well. Mm-hmm. Which are your summer favorite podcasts that you listen to? Oprah Soul Sessions. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love Soul Oprah's. Sessions, I think yeah. it's called. Soul, soul Sunday. Soul, yeah, Sunday Super, soul. Super Soul Sunday. Super Soul, yes. Super soul Sunday. Yeah. I, every, every week I listen to her podcast. Mm-hmm. I think I think maybe it's just the product of being like a 90s, uh, growing up in the 90s and 2000, maybe we're Oprah people, but yeah. So she's the, the number one I listen to. The second one, I've started now in my 30s listening to more investment podcasts. Mm-hmm. So just right. trying to understand that more. There's one, I forget the name of it, it's called, um, it's by Phil Town and his daughter, Danielle Town. The invested, I think it's called Invested, invested exactly. Yeah. And I just feel like it's like my father and I speaking because my father's a financial advisor and yeah. he's always kind of like, okay, let me explain this to you. And so then I'm like, okay, dad. And then I'd be listening for an hour. So it's kind of a similar yeah. approach, but yeah. I learned so much from my father, you know, yeah. from those perspectives. And it, it's, it's a similar kind of thing of a father-daughter duo and learning practical information about the U.S. market. I think living overseas for so long, I've never 
yeah. been exposed really to that whole world. And investing over here is totally different. So I've just been trying to understand more. You have an encyclopedia of investing sitting at home with you, your father. You don't need to listen to yeah, anything else. Yeah, but it's it's a different kind of investing, yeah. you know, in that uh, it's it's um, more about here it's global kind of investing. But those kind of podcasts are very US centric. So true, yeah. true that. Do you like reading books? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I What like is... reading books. Um, Uh, one book that you would gift to someone? Is there any book that you would love to gift to people? That I love to gift. I don't usually gift books yeah. nowadays, mm -hmm. but the one that's on my nightstand right now is The Longevity Paradox. Mm -hmm. So my gifted to me by my mother. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm making my way through that. And she's been, uh, as in her retirement, relearning about all the secrets to longevity mm. and all the health and wellness aspects and the supplements that need to be taken yeah. and all this, the right combination of activities. And I was actually listening to a podcast this morning by Brian Rose and David Asprey talking about okay. longevity, aging mm. and yeah. food and, you know, what's happening in the West for living longer, more healthier, more fitter. Exactly. It's, uh, I think um, that's, I heard Again, on, I listen to a lot of books and podcasts, mm -hmm. and probably that's one of the reasons yeah. I have my own now. So uh, one of the podcasts I was listening where Vishen Lakhiani of Mind Valley mentioned that by 2030 or 2050, we would come up with some technology which will make humans live for 150 years. So our generation is actually going yeah. to live for 150 years. Yeah. And that's what we should be working Strive towards. Striving towards, taking, yeah. Taking care of the, we should be taking care of our bodies in that mm -hmm. way because 2030 is not far away. It's just 10 more years down the line and yeah. we'll have those special pills and medicines that will mm. improve longevity. Yeah, so, and our body is our home, you know. And as I can see, mashallah, God bless my parents, they're, they're taking care of their bodies and their health and it goes a long ways to, uh, you know, to ensure longevity. Uh, Any closing thoughts uh, would you like to share with our audience about Basilago, where they can order online, some dishes that you would like them to try? You already mentioned your uh, favorite dishes um, that people can try online. Anything about Basilago you would like to share and invite people to In terms of Basilago, I think if, if they check out the website, they'll find a wellness program that works for them. Mm -hmm. You know, But in terms of entrepreneurs and that kind of advice is that Build a team early that, and that you can trust mm -hmm. and don't burn out don't burn out yourself so early. I think that was a hard lesson for me to learn, especially when you're an entrepreneur and very uh, financially strapped, yeah. is that you think, I, I thought, oh, I have to do everything. And I, if I, because I'm emotionally invested into it, yeah. I'll do it the best way. Correct. But the, the best advice I got from my husband was that you need to hire somebody who will come on board and actually your business will thrive more. Because then if you have a partnership with somebody, it, it'll, it'll just be a success for growth. And that was, I wish I had learned that earlier to bring somebody on board because then it prevents burnout and the very lonely journey of entrepreneurship. Um, it prevents a lot of things in terms of mental health for entrepreneurship is bringing on that right team early on is is critical you know as, as I've heard so many ladies in, that I mentor for entrepreneurship they're saying well we can't afford it yeah. so I always say just carve out the money somehow carve it out because we are not super women we can't do everything yeah. and we need to reach out to other women or other companies and find those people who are willing to help you build your business and you know have the right pricing for an SME and because we don't know everything we can't do everything ourselves yeah. so and there are a lot of people who are really genuinely championing female led SMEs yeah. so yeah that would be my advice is to and such a good yeah. advice and that's actually the premise of this podcast because um, based on the studies and research that I did 95% or actually 98% of businesses fail within the first 18 months of their mm -hmm. incorporation is because uh, people, most of the small business owners want to wear every hat, want to save every penny because they're tight on cash. They don't have cash necessarily mm -hmm. and they end up doing everything and burning out because 
that's how much eventually then what you're passionate about starts becoming what you don't like anymore about exactly you know? yeah. so uh, it's so key and so important to invest in the right people mm-hmm. immediately so your time is free to do things that you love doing exactly and what we're good at that's exactly, exactly. what my husband said he was like you need to do what you are good at Correct. and if your skill is bringing the creativity and the wellness and the global inspiration to providing a wellness company here then that is what i need to focus on other people can worry about the the, the nitty gritty and the the logistics and everything and they will be much better than me you know i i will not be that good at that you know That's so true because yeah. uh, and even my business like the the my my business really had a big um, change or evolution when i hired my first team members who are way smarter than me exactly the whole yeah. team is under 25 now i think and they actually i've seen them grow in front of my eyes now they are under 27 but young and we are a girl team we yeah. are all women team, women team uh, in yeah. our office and uh, all my team are way ahead of me mm-hmm. they in terms of using the tools using Yeah, the program for my team. So, yeah, same yeah, for my team. Yeah. So, yeah. God bless them. They they're the ones who run the show really. Yeah. So, yeah. So, always very important to invest in your team, mm-hmm. investing in the right resources from the beginning, knowing what is you're good at, yeah. and then just working on that and la- leaving the rest on the others exactly. who are better at that. Recognizing the Absolutely. shortfalls is is a critical. Yes. Know, so. I truly enjoyed this conversation. Thank yes, you so much too. for your time for coming over Thank and you. sharing all this detail about your journey. Yes, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. And I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as well as much as I did. Do give us a thumbs up if you like what we shared. If you have any questions from Justine or myself, feel free to use the comment box below from whatever platform you're listening to this podcast or watching this video. Uh do subscribe to our podcast and share with friends and family or people you think should benefit would benefit from this conversation. Thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode and see you in the next one.